Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about current trends and events from business, tech, fashion, design, culture, and more from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, we take a look at the new gaming center space that is opening this week in Stockholm. We also have a guest in our friend, Fredrik Ekström from Consultancy Above the Clouds, who's going to talk about his new report, The Next Sustainable Consumer. I'm Conor Olsson, Editor-in-Chief and Founder of Scandinavian Mind, and I'm joined with my dear colleagues Roland Fripp Kretschmar, Editor-at-Large for Future and Digitization, and our Junior Editor Erik Sedin. Guys, how are you doing? Fantastic. Friday morning. Um, it's crispy and white outside, so that's, that's nice. Yeah, I have Wonderful. to second that. Great day to be alive. Great day to be alive. Winter <laughs> is coming. Uh, before we get into the topic of, of the day and the week, uh, uh, let's dive into where we are armchair traveling to this week. Eric Sedin, where is this week's guide going to? Uh, this week we're guided by like uh, Architecture Santa. His name is Lauri Lukari. He looks like a really cool uh, Finnish, Northern Finnish Santa guy. And he's from uh, Ulu. In northern, it's, I think Ulo is called the capital of northern Scandinavia. That's what they call themselves, at least. Aren't there several cities that, that claim that type of, <laughs> of being capital? There's, of course. There's no really official uh, judge that, that decides who is the capital of what. <laughs> no, that's true. But you are a captain, Conrad. That's for sure. I- I'm captain. I'm editor-in-chief. That, exactly. <laughs> but I know there's, in the northern Sweden, there's always debates between Sundsvall and Umeå, who's the sort of capital of <laughs> northern Sweden. Uh, Erik, tell us about Ulo. I did not, again, know about this city uh, before or anything about this city. What's the highlights? From It's uh, really far, far up north, and it's basically a university town. So... Instantly, when there's a university town, it's a lot. It's very creative and it's very young, you know. Mm. So it seems like they have a really good arts and architecture university. So mm. that seems to be their thing up there. And some cool buildings and some cool local craftsmanship and stuff. A little bit like Umeå, great. then. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Kind of, kind of like Umeå in in Sweden. Yeah, sure. And it's always uh, uh, it's going to be an, a like rocket on Instagram when we post some of these uh, <laughs> uh, uh, beautiful cabins in a, uh, in a sort of winter wonderland. Uh, that's always uh, a safe bet in the Scandinavian Mind platform. <laughs> All right, Erik, you've been kind of out and about this week in Stockholm, checking out the new uh, gaming center space, or is it? Can, do you call it a gaming center? What What is this place? Let's Let's talk about what what what, what we've seen here and what's opening in Stockholm. Uh, they call themselves the world's biggest gaming center. That's like their mm. their <laughs> main uh, thing they call themselves, and that's what it is. It's also like a hub for digital culture. So they have this uh, Avicii Museum, for example. Mm-hmm. Because we know that Avicii was a huge gamer. He was, you know, that's usually how these uh, how music how artists start these days. They sit, they they game, they play CS or any kind of games, and then they get bored and download like a, like Fruity Loops or Ableton, like a music program, mm. and they sit and do music all night. So this is a place to kind of like merge these two worlds together. And how digital culture usually stems around gaming. But yeah, most of all, it's like a gaming center, like an internet cafe. 
Right. right. And <laughs> it, wow. It's it's located in in uh, the the I think it's the fifth Hörtorgskrapan, the the Hörtorg at the high rises next to Sergelstorg. It's super central, mm-hmm. and it's been been under construction for quite a while now. And I believe it's going to be a ho- hotel as well. Uh, yeah, they had like uh, one. Uh, it's I think it's three uh, stories high. This this space, and, and on the third uh, floor, there's uh, like a, it's it's not a it's a like a office hotel so only people and companies that work with gaming or like music gets to rent their space there mm. so uh, and then they also included in that they have like podcast studios and tiktok studio and like uh, live stream studios so yeah. and they have very generous opening hours basically 24 7 what i can yeah, see yeah yeah because that's how it works uh, yeah. like when i when i was like 13, 14, 15 years old, we would go, if my parents let me, me and my friends, would go to these like LAN parties at mm. the internet cafes in downtown Stockholm. <laughs> and you know, these places were kind of like really cheap, like worn down, kind of toxic places, especially for like young, young guys like me and my friends were. You know, a lot of misogynist language being thrown around and just overall kind of, you know, omnipresent boys mm. will be boys energy, you know. But this place to really step it up, it's, from what I could tell, a lot more expensive to even get in. And uh, they have like security all over the place. And this is like a, a bit of a like, a, it's like a youth center, I guess. So that's open 24-7, like a nocturnal youth center. But I mean, when I price. kind of look into it, it doesn't feel very youthful. I mean, it looks kind of, I mean, you have the fat cat brasserie, you, you, mm-hmm. you have premium food and drinks. It looks... Kind of more for for young forty plus. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, and just an observation. It it looks super well, premium. That um, is true. It is true. Does it feel premium when you're there? That, that, exactly. I think that's that's what they said that they wanted to. When people people of my generation, we're now grown grown up. Mm. I guess like 30, 20, 30, 40 years old. So they also have this place like it's a, they have a minimum age limit of twenty years. So only mm. if you're 20 plus, you can game there, and there you can sit, and, and they have like an esports bar, so like a sports bar, but for mm. esports, mm. so you can watch like the World Cup in FIFA or whatever. <laughs> so and like you said, a very like uh, a bit more premium, and also for older gamers because there's not really a space for them. They usually sit at home. Wasn't there like a button you could press at the desk and and drinks would arrive? Yeah, they, they have a they have this whole bar so you could get like a dry martini or a glass of wine straight to your PC where you're gaming, which is cool. I never thought I I never thought Stockholm would get this, and I never thought gaming would be this mainstream, you know, for something like this. And I never Stockholm. thought that the company behind Abba's uh, recent uh, successes in, in entertainment would, would start yeah. something like that. It's Pop House, basically, I mean, that, that yeah. stands yeah. behind it, right? Yeah. And they also, it's supposed to be a, uh, I never heard of it, but in that space, it was a nightclub called Underground, like 20, 30 years ago, I think, which uh, U2, uh, the, the band, they had their first uh, show ever, first ever European or like international show there in Stockholm. That so must be this, 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe that, that, this sounds like a very boomer reference for them to have. Probably, uh, <laughs> I know the CEO of Popas is, is, is an old uh, sort of record uh, label company guy. And, and as, as we mentioned, the ABBA guys are sort of behind it financing it. I don't, I don't think the gamers of today are, are at all impressed <laughs> no. by that reference. <laughs> we were all kind of clueless when we were all sitting there. We're like, who? Who's, who's you too? 
But yeah, so that that place is also going to be like a like a like a concert venue for people to rent as well okay. for like, oh. for like the music and also like a esports venue if you want to have like live uh, tournaments and stuff. Listen, I'm not a gamer, um, but I'm pretty excited about this. I, I'm definitely going there to. to yeah, I'm, I'm. I. They had like they have these like after work hours where you can rent like a room with four or five friends and. You get wine and beers and cocktails just delivered to your place, and you can sit there for five hours, and it's like 100 Swedish crowns an hour. Oh, they should have karaoke as well. Yeah, I, totally <laughs> I agree, that, guys. I, I think this is super exciting. It, it's it's sort of a way for gaming to step into the uh, to the mainstream or uh, sort of the upper echelons of, of society. Mm. They get their own place. It's a premium place. It's it's located in central Stockholm. Uh, it should also be noted that. Uh, uh, I think this is owned by OMF, the the, the big uh, real estate company, but but it's also part of a larger sort of redevelopment of the of the area around Sagelstorg. There's talk about yeah. developing. They call it Sagelstorg, sort yeah. of a nod to Bibliotheksstorg, which is another premium area. So I think it's a way for digital culture to sort of, sort of step into uh, adulthood in a way. And and given the, all the developments that are happening with Pop House, they're doing major developments at, at Jurgården as well. I think mm. they're gonna, they bought Circus, a big concert venue. Uh, it's definitely a company with, with sort of a, a finger on the pulse in terms of culture. It's really exciting to see digital culture to, to, to sort of have this sort of mainstream space in Stockholm. Yeah, yeah and maybe also, an additional uh, comment there. It's a, what I see here is about the academy, the ambitions to also then offer courses, inspirational talks, boot camps with encoding to kind of mm -hmm. <clears throat> basically help people to, to um, learn how to speak the language of digital. Yeah. That was really cool. They said that in Sweden we have, we're short of 70,000 uh, mm. programmers and coders. So they want to have this mm. place on, on like on winter breaks and stuff where kids can come there and learn to code and also get some gaming in to for free you know to learn so attracting talents attracting new generations of coders uh, mm -hmm. uh very interesting for the profile of stockholm and it also should be noted that this this happens in conjunction with something we've been talking about before which is the the new stockholm creative tech week which uh, uh, is happening as we speak i think during these days and and it's going to continue up until uh uh, beginning of next week when when slush takes over in Helsinki um, We still don't know much about what Stockholm creative tech week is I know from from my research that it's actually the city of Stockholm that's behind it and these this first iteration they, they have a few events uh, the, Namely the launch of space is one of the most high-profile ones. They're doing some stuff at a house another kind of co-working event space in Stockholm uh, but they know, I know they have bigger plans for next year. So it, it's also an interesting reflection to see sort of the merge between, uh, which is obviously close to our heart, the merge between sort of technology, the, the startup community, and sort of the, the creative uh, worlds of, of music and fashion and, and other expressions, which is, uh, it's very early stages, but it's kind of exciting what's, what's happening, I think. And that's also interesting. I remember you saying on this pod a couple of weeks ago about how you thought Stockholm and Scandinavia could have like a South by Southwest. And that's actually what the CEO of Space mm -hmm. said, that mm. they want uh, this like downtown Stockholm to have this, to have a lot of like concert venues and a lot of events to be like a South by, inspired by South by Southwest. <laughs> so you were kind of on something there. Interesting. Interesting. We, we, are, actually, all, when... we are always on to something at Scandinavian <laughs> Mind. Yeah, yeah no and surprise actually, there. 
when when I look at the Creative Tech Week agenda, it feels that it's extremely driven by kind of content, music, gaming, entertainment. Um, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's been lacking a bit. I, I think uh, the the different um, <clears throat> tech weeks that we've seen in the past in Stockholm have been been focused a lot on kind of venture capital, on financing, on startups, yeah. and on the on the kind of whole culture around startups, yeah. but less maybe on the content side of things. And here, when I look at the agenda, you basically have a lot of startups <laughs> and companies, but that are um, filling all these different channels and platforms with uh, content. That's pretty interesting, actually. All right, that was a great conversation with our friend Fredrik. Uh, moving on, ending the show. Guys, what are you looking forward to in the week to come? Uh, Roland, what's on your agenda? Well, on a more personal note, uh, I'm f- uh, starting to finish off um, one year of uh, executive education training at Stockholm School of Economics. I'm going to be 10 days uh, starting next week, more or less off-site kind of you know, prepare for my graduation, let's say. So yeah, pretty wow. exciting. Wow. Cool. I'm also very excited about going. I'm going to Slush for the first time in my life next week. So uh, there will be plenty of reporting from Helsinki uh, in in next week's podcast. All right, we are now joined by our uh, dear friend Fredrik Ekström, a collaborator, uh, contributor to Scandinavian Mind and also a founder of the consultancy Above the Clouds. Fredrik, welcome to the show. Hi, Conrad. Nice having me here. Hey, Fredrik. Good morning. Hi. This is kind of like a a, a wonderful uh, um, reunion of sorts. Uh, We were all this team, uh, kind of the the moderators of the first Scandinavian Mind uh, Transformation Conference a year ago when we launched uh, uh, the the first issue. But we also launched a report, the first iteration of a report uh, then called The New Sustainable Consumer. Uh, Fredrik, uh, you are now uh, in the beginning of launching the follow-up report called The Next Sustainable Consumer, and uh, we are going to help with delivering some content from that report in the Scandinavian Mind platform in the couple of weeks to come. So we're just going to give a little bit of a uh, headliners here about what this report is about and what people can expect from it. So just an overview, uh, The Next Sustainable Consumer, what can we expect? As you notice, it's a very creative name from uh, deriving from the new sustainable consumer, uh, where we now have made a larger quantitative research, deep diving into the, um, the Swedish um, general population, mm. targeting towards um, how do they include sustainability um, issues into the, their uh, pattern of life today, but also what kind of... Um, things that triggers the drivers, what drivers, what triggers, how do they um, build in sustainability in in their lifestyle? Because we can see in the report that eight out, eight out of 10 Swedish consumers today actually connect sustainability to their self-concept in, in mm. different kind of ways. But sustainability is not a one-stop shop. It, it is interpreted by the consumer in very different ways. So we have um, made a deep dive in our consumer profiles uh, where you have the dedicated pioneers and anxious activists 
eco-swingers, skeptic spectators and sustainability zombies that we introduced in the new sustainable consumer sustainability report. zombies i just love that name <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they are i mean um it's seven percent of the swedish population walking uh walking dead uh so to say <laughs> but uh, what does that mean what um and a, a sustainability zombie is actually um very actively denying climate crisis, environmental communication, and are mm, okay. uh, openly non-motivated. Um, so the driver to, to trigger them to understand is more of a persuasion phase. But I mean, it's, uh, you can see it's, um, it's around 7%. It's a little bit higher with men, uh, the, walk, the walking deads. And, but when you're going down in ages, you can see, like Jen said, it's only 2%. So you can see a big difference in, in the different uh, consumer profiles, depending on age and gender. Exciting. Interesting to explain. Mm -hmm. So, but what we also, like what we will do now is that we will launch the report in December and um, uh, we will... Prior to the report, also do three articles where you can deep down in different sections of the report. And now that we're first coming up with is something that we call sustainability and status anxiety. And, and I mean, status is a kind of a word that no one really wants to touch. So you can, we could call it cultural currency, uh, which is <laughs> like a, 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 the, the exact accepted word uh, for status, but status, the power behind it is really strong. And mm -hmm. we can see that a lot of the consumers now, they are, um, they feel that their actions disappear in a black hole. It doesn't do any, um, neither good or bad. They don't know what's happening with, with their actions. And in the same time, so that, that's, I mean, that's the, cements a bit of like they don't know what's in it for them uh, and what if they do something good uh, and in the same time there's a huge group that is uh, feeling anxious about being judged by their their peers and mm. this is growing bigger in the gen Z. so if you go in in the younger segments it's seven out of ten gen Zs feel that they will be judged by their peers if they do um, wrong environmentally choices in, in their consumption. And in the same time, you can see that nine out of 10 um, uh, or eight out of 10 Gen Zs feel that they would be very or quite impressed if uh, a person taught them something new and unexpected about uh, sustainability. And even one out of five that is physically attracted by a person living a sustainable lifestyle. So we can see that this, the fear of being judged and also the uncertainty of doing uh, the right thing builds up some kind of anxiety of, of how to act. And in the same time, they're really impressed of people teaching them something new and they are attracted of people living a sustainable life, which makes up kind of a, a status or cultural capital currency hunting 
you want to gather that that uh, sustainability status, but also you have um, a status anxiety because when you're building status, you're also building a fear of getting stripped from your status in, in sustainability. I think mm -hmm. it's cool. I think I've seen that within fashion that if you ask someone, oh, where's your jacket from or your shirt or whatever, I think it's kind of cool these days. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's secondhand. I have no idea where it's from. Instead of saying mm -hmm. like, oh, this is the new uh, Montclair. Or like, I think people are, like you said, when you talk about status, how that is shifting, you can kind of be ashamed of yeah. saying like, oh, this is actually this season's uh, Montclair jacket. That's not as cool, I feel, yeah. for Gen Z as saying, oh, this is a... But Eric, it's the same in the suburbs uh, where I live, and uh, you know I'm not Gen Z, Z right? Uh, so when you buy a new car, it has to be electrical. It it has to be an EV. Mm, Otherwise, you know you you're, you're frowned upon, right? And 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 that that's something that actually um, comes up really strong in the report. Um, like uh, we also did um, a peer-to-peer -to -peer top list. What what uh, characteristics impress the most? Uh, from a, uh, a person or a friend uh, that you have. Mm. And if, uh, to stop consuming unnecessary products is the top of the line. So that's, that's like the, the top thing to, to, to go out and say and tell your friends to build your status capital in, within sustainability. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, Roland, um, buying an electrical car I think it's uh, three steps below selling your car and starting to bike. Ah, ride a bike yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I know. I'm a late laggard. <laughs> but it's, I think, it's really fascinating this connection you're you're making between uh, uh, the social status and the the, the sort of uh, uh, cultural currency that we see today. There's so much talk right now about how that is shifting in different consumer groups. Uh, and I, I find it fascinating if, if we are going, I mean, obviously this is in the long term, and I think we're going to talk about that uh, in, a, in an episode to come. We can go more deeper what this means for brands, uh, because obviously this is super interesting of how to attract and, and communicate to different target groups. But do you think we're going to see a world where uh, in the near future, the sort of uh, um, role models in culture so influencers, if you'd like, are going to be more of these sort of, you know, the people that knows more about sustainability, that has, you know, actual data, that has sort of actual knowledge uh, to provide. Because as you mentioned, uh, being someone who's in the know, that, that's kind of the, the new credibility in a way. Uh, what do you, what, where do you see this going? Definitely go in the direction of, brands filling a void in the consumer's mindset today because they they we saw it in the last last report that consumers are losing trust in institutions and politicians and and uh, traditional kind of knowledge base that tells you uh, what is right and wrong right um we can we can also see that um the consumers won't switch into a sustainable lifestyle only by getting the information they need like to get like this uh, product has been produced like this and that they they are in search of the knowledge around it and brands and influencers have a really strong possibility today to act as that role model create that kind of status capital cultural currency around it 
And what I usually see is that, I mean, people are brands and brands are people and brands are viewed upon as people by the consumer. So Mm. if you are a brand builder, brand strategist, you need to build your brand as if it was a friend to the people looking upon it. And then you can go down to this peer-to-peer top list that we have. I mean, you have in, in top, stop consuming unnecessary products. For a brand, it's easy to adapt that to the, to the brand building. I mean, we, we stop producing unnecessary products. We, we stop buying fabrics that is unnecessary. We stop overproducing in seasonal trends. And the next is uh, changed his, her life to become more sustainable in general building up your sustainability goals, etc., for the brand. And then knowledge about the latest research on environmental and climate. You need to have an R&D. You need to have a CSR manager. Uh, you need to have a sustainability officer to be up to date on the latest research on environment. It's easy for a brand to start transforming into these steps issue if you have the mindset of that your brand is viewed upon as a person by the consumer. So, um, Fredrik, and, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Out of curiosity, yeah. um, I mean, you, on, on one side, you're, you're describing now what's happening with, with, let's say, citizens, with consumers, the way they, they view sustainability and you talk about status and uh, cultural capital and all of this, right? On the other hand, consumption is increasing exponentially, uh, especially during COVID. Uh, we've had a huge boom in e-commerce uh, using uh, extensive, um, uh, you know, uh, packaging uh, solutions and, you know, supply chain is, is, is crazy and, you know, transportation is, is mm. booming. There's a conflict there between yeah. maybe what consumers believe is right and actually what's happening in reality, right? Yes. What's your view on this? I would say that that is exactly where this uh, topic is is um, is relevant because the consumer won't adapt to a sustainable lifestyle only by getting information. You should do this. The planet is uh, being damaged. Uh, you should buy more eco-friendly product. This is made out of this and that recycled fabric. That won't change the consumer mindset. They need the role models that would be both people and brands that actually act on it and start talking about it and start building up this cultural capital status symbols around it. So the consumer get um, a proof of concept that they are doing the right thing. That would be the way of getting the snowball rolling and, and transforming it to the, to the right way, I think. Because it's easy to um, get the information, sort it out, and still go and buy a lot of unnecessary products. But mm. by highlighting these kind of things and, and talking about it and bringing it up to the table, more and more people will probably start reacting. And they know, I mean, it's, um, you, if you go out and brag on, about the stuff you, you have bought uh, on Black Friday sales and... And your new, uh, I won't say any brand name, the jackets, but your, <laughs> your new, uh, any kind of X brand uh, product. Um, you will lose in your social 
sustainability status. You will be stripped out of status by, by your peers. So, so that's a way of just bring it in. It, it, won't, it won't change the consumer patterns just because we talk about it and inform about it and having climate meetings about it. It's, we need someone to follow and that shows us proof of concept, gives us bragging rights. What's interesting with the article that we're going to publish uh, on Monday is uh, we're also listing a, a few words that people are super tired of. So there's a fatigue of sorts mm-hmm. in the marketplace in terms of sustainability uh, uh, communication. Why don't we go into some of these words? Because I think there's a lot of recognition there. Yeah, it's... Um... Uh, yeah, this is probably a bit tough for, for, for some, but um, I mean, we could see in, in the research we have done that 78% of the consumers feel that brands increasingly communicating more and more around sustainability issues. So it's, I mean, it's eight out of 10 feel that brands are highlighting sustainability issues. Mm. But in the same time, uh, they're getting more and more tired of of the words that they are using, which means that the more we communicate as brands and also the more, um, my hypothesis is that the more close to greenwashing brands that are communicating around sustainability, the less impact the the words will have in the future. Um, And the least positive word or the word that people are most tired of hearing or seeing in communication is climate neutral. It's, it's <laughs> like the word, it's um, what we call it, the communication shit list, words to avoid. Um, so, so, so all of you out there building your brand strategy around climate neutral, it, 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 it won't have that same positive effect in the yeah, mindset. Yeah, and there, there are more examples like climate positive, sustainable, eco-friendly, like these words that we see all the time uh, every day now, sort of peppering our, our news feeds and social medias. These words have sort of lost their meaning in a way uh, in terms of actual impact. But Fredrik, yes. what's the solution then? Uh, right now there is no solution no but um, this is a phenomenon you you can't point on any kind of solution because you can't tell uh, everyone to communicate less or being more careful about communicating because all of the brands I would say um, also suffer from mild to moderate status sustainability status anxiety a lot of the brands, they are like people as well. So they say, if you are an outdoor brand, mid, mid-range mid outdoor brand, you will see uh, Houdini doing a lot of cool stuff. And then you get uh, uh, anxious about yourself doing something. And then you start producing more and you start communicating more. And then you're uh, damaging um, the impact of the words that you're using. So all the brands that are suffering from this... Um, anxiety, status anxiety around sustainability, they slowly damaging the, the entire impact of the world. So you can't really say that, come on, slow down your communication. But um, what we can say that in the long run, they need to look at their brands as if they also are a person and figure out like what do we stand for and then continuously 
building that through doing activations, building the community, talking slower about it. Don't do any uh, Black Friday sales and call it Green Friday by my shoe. It's, it's going to damage your brand. So, Fredrik, I know we don't have time to deep dive into this, but just, um, you know, um, so basically what you're saying is that the more we communicate around this, the more it actually also can be damaging. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. So the more, and I mean, we could say that on this top five, uh, or we have six names in the first article, but in in the top five, of worst word to use. I mean, the most tiring words. You can find both sustainable and sustainability. Um, and it's just talked about, communicated, everyone uses it. And for the consumers, it's just like, don't show me that again. I don't want to hear it. But it also goes down to uh, further research we have done. More and more of the consumers also say, I mean, we're We're tired of your why. We're entering a post-purpose world now. Uh, We're tired of hearing why we should do it. We're tired of hearing um, uh, what you think we should do. We want to see how are you actually going to fix it. So Mm. so there's there's a big change in in this. And of course, purpose is still uh, really important, especially in Gen Z and the dedicated pioneers. But in the mass general, they are tired of hearing, why should we do this? What does this overarching themes and stuff that you talk about? We know the, the planet is fucked up. You mean like, what and how are you going to fix it? You're trying to sell me a lot of stuff that I don't want. Uh, and you, you try to position your brand as climate neutral, sustainable and eco-friendly with responsible products. And I'm tired of all those words. Oh. All right, we are tired of oh. sustainability, uh, how to navigate a post-purpose world. There's much to dive into here, and we will get back to this topic in the Scandinavian Mind platform. Uh, the full report will be released on December 9, so keep an eye out on uh, our uh, uh, platform. Uh, we're really happy with this collaboration with Fredrik Ekstrom, our uh, collaborator, our editor at large for sustainability and branding, also the founder of the consultancy above the clouds. Uh, Fredrik, thank you for uh, sharing your insights and coming on the show. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was a great conversation with our friend Fredrik. Uh, moving on, ending the show. Guys, what are you looking forward to in the week to come? Uh, Roland, what's on your agenda? Well, on a more personal note, uh, I'm f- uh, starting to finish off. Um, one year of uh, executive education training at Stockholm School of Economics. I'm going to be 10 days uh, starting next week, more or less off-site, kind of, you know, prepare for my graduation, let's say. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Wow. Cool. I'm also very excited about going. I'm going to Slush for the first time in my life next week. So uh, there will be plenty of reporting from Helsinki uh, in in next week's podcast. Eric, what about you? What's happening on the editorial floor in the next week? Uh, I did mention, I think, like two weeks ago, how I was interviewing this uh, robot experts in the service industry. And she finally answered. So next week we're going to... 
we're going to be back with some really cool insights on why humanoid robots are so important rather than machine robots. Wonderful. All right, you have been listening to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, uh, our weekly show about culture, tech, and design, fashion, and other things. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter. Visit scandinaviamind.com newsletter. Uh, until next time, goodbye.